guys, it's Amber. I'm back. So where we left off, Harry has been at school at Hogwarts for a little bit now. He's been to a few classes. He's had more than a few run-ins with Malfoy. Uh, one of those run-ins resulted in Malfoy challenging him to a wizarding duel and Ron volunteering to be Harry's second. Uh, the night they go to sneak out to go do this, Hermione tries to talk him out of it because she doesn't want the Gryffindor to lose any more points. Um, and they all wind up stuck outside of the Gryffindor house. So they had to go and come to find out that it was just a trick to get them out of their room because students aren't supposed to be out of their house dorms whenever it's nighttime and they'll get in trouble. And so it was a trick the whole time and they almost get caught and while they almost get caught, they discover the three-headed dog that is uh, protecting something. Um, they do make it back, back to their dorms without getting caught, but that's where we left off. We'll get back into it. Chapter 10, Halloween. Mafoy couldn't believe his eyes when he saw that Harry and Ron were still at Hogwarts the next day looking tired but perfectly cheerful. Indeed, by the next morning, Harry and Ron thought that meeting the three-headed dog had been an excellent adventure, and they were quite keen to have another one. In the meantime, Harry filled Ron in about the package that seemed to have been moved from Gringotts to Hogwarts, and they spent a lot of time wondering what could have possibly need such heavy protection. It's either really valuable or really dangerous, said Ron. Or both, said Harry. But as all they knew for sure about the mysterious object was that it was about two inches long, they didn't have much chance of guessing what it was without further clues. Neither Neville or Hermione showed the slightest interest in what they lay underneath the dog and the trap door. All Neville cared about was never going near that dog again. Hermione was now refusing to speak to Harry and Ron, but she was such a bossy know-it-all that they saw this as an added bonus. All they really wanted now was a very way of getting back at Malfoy, and to their great delight, just such a thing arrived in the mail about a week later. As the owls flooded into the great hall, as usual, everyone's attention was caught at once by a long, thin package carried by six large screech owls. Harry was just as interested as everyone else to see what was in the large parcel and was amazed when the owl soared down and dropped it right in front of him, knocking his bacon to the floor. They had hardly fluttered out of the way when another owl dropped a letter on top of the parcel. Harry ripped open the letter first, which was lucky because it said, Do not open the parcel at the table. It contains your new Nimbus 2000, but I don't want everybody knowing you've got a broomstick or they'll all want one. Oliver Wood will meet you tonight on the Quidditch field at 7 o'clock for your first training session. Professor M. McGonagall. Harry had difficulty hiding his glee as he handed the note to Ron to read. A Nimbus 2000? Ron moaned enviously. I've never even touched one. They left the hall quickly, wanting to unwrap the broomstick in private before their first class, but halfway across the entrance hall, they found their way upstairs, barred by Crab and Goyle. Malfoy seized the package from Harry and felt it. That's a broomstick, he said, throwing it back to Harry with a 
mixture of jealousy and spite on his face. You'll be in for it this time, Potter. First years aren't allowed, then. Ron couldn't resist it. It's not any old broomstick, he said. It's a Nimbus 2000. What did you say you've got at home, Malfoy? A Comet 260? Ron grinned at Harry. Comets look flashy, but they're not in the same league as the Nimbus. What would you know about it, Weasley? You couldn't afford half the handle, Malfoy snapped back. I suppose you and your brothers have to save up a twig by a twig. Before Ron could answer, Professor Flitwick appeared at Malfoy's elbow. Not arguing, I hope, boys, he squeaked. Potter's been sent a broomstick, Professor, said Malfoy quickly. Yes, yes, that's right, said Professor Flitwick, beaming at Harry. Professor McGonagall told me all about the special circumstances, Potter. And what model is it? A Nimbus 2000, sir, said Harry, fighting not to laugh at the look of horror on Malfoy's face. And it's really thanks to Malfoy here that I've got it, he added. Harry and Ron headed upstairs, smothering their laughter at Malfoy's obvious rage and confusion. Well, it's true, Harry chortled as they reached the top of the marble stairs. If he hadn't stolen Neville's remember-all, I wouldn't be on the team. So, I suppose you think that's a reward for breaking rules, came an angry voice from just behind them. Hermione was stomping up the stairs, looking disapprovingly at the package in Harry's hand. I thought you weren't speaking to us, said Harry. Yes, don't stop now, said Ron. It's doing us so much good. Hermione marched away with her nose in the air. Harry had a lot of trouble keeping his mind on his lessons that day. It kept wandering up to the dormitory where his new broomstick was laying on his bed. Or straying off to the Quidditch field where he'd learned to play that night. He bolted his dinner that evening without noticing what he was eating and then rushed upstairs with Ron to unwrap the Nimbus 2000 at last. Wow, Ron sighed as the broomstick rolled into Harry's bedspread. Even Harry, who knew nothing about the different brooms, thought it looked wonderful. Sleek and shiny, with a mahogany handle. It had a long tail of neat, straight twigs, and Nimbus 2000 written golden near the top. As seven o'clock drew near, Harry left the castle and set off in the dust towards the Quidditch field. He'd never been inside the stadium before. Hundreds of seats were raised in stands around the field so that the spectators were high enough to see what was going on. At either end of the field were three golden poles with hoops on the end. They reminded Harry of the little plastic sticks Maggie's children blew bubbles through, except that they were 50 feet high. Too eager to fly again to wait for wood, Harry mounted his broomstick and kicked off from the ground. What a feeling. He swooped in and out of the goalpost and then sped up down the field. The Nimbus 2000 turned whenever he wanted at its slightest touch. Hey, Potter, come down! Oliver Wood had arrived. He was carrying a large wooden crate under his arm. Harry landed next to him. Very nice, said Wood, his eyes glinting. I see what McGonagall meant. You really are a natural. I'm just going to teach you the rules this evening. Then you'll be joining the team three times a week for practice. He opened the crate. Inside were four different sized balls. Right, said Wood. Now, Quidditch is easy enough to understand even if it's not too easy to play. There are seven players on each side. Three of them are called chasers. Three chasers, Harry repeated, as Wood took out a bright red ball about the size of a soccer ball. This ball is called the quaffle, said Wood. 
The chasers throw the quaffle to each other and try to get it through one of the hoops to score a goal. Ten points every time the quaffle goes through one of the hoops. Follow me? The chasers throw the quaffle and put it through the hoops to score, Harry recited. So that's sort of like basketball and broomsticks with six hoops, isn't it? What's basketball? said Wood curiously. Never mind, said Harry quickly. Now, there's another player on each side who's called the keeper. I'm keeper for Gryffindor. I have to fly around our hoops and stop the other team from scoring. Three chasers, one keeper, said Harry, who was determined to remember it all. And they play with the quaffle. Okay, got that. So what are they for? He pointed at the three balls left inside the ball box. I'll show you now, said Wood. Take this. He handed Harry a small club and bit like a short baseball bat. I'm going to show you what the bludgers do, Wood said. These two are the bludgers. He showed Harry two identical balls, jet black and slightly smaller than the red quaffle. Harry noticed that they seemed to be straining to escape the straps holding them inside the box. Stand back, Wood warned Harry. He bent down and freed one of the bulgers. <clears throat> at once, the black ball rose high in the air and then pelted straight at Harry's face. Harry swung at it with the bat to stop it from breaking his nose and sent it zigzagging away in the air. It zoomed around their heads and then shot at Wood, who dived on top of it and managed to pin it to the ground. See? Wood panted, forcing the struggling bludger back into the crate and strapping it down safely. The bludgers rocket around trying to knock players off their brooms. That's why you have two beaters on each team. The Weasley twins are ours. It's their job to protect their side from the bludgers and try and knock them toward the other team. So, think you got it all that? Three chasers trying to score with the quaffle. The keeper guards the cold poles. The beaters keep the bludgers away from their team. Harry reeled off. Very good, said Wood. Uh, but the bludgers ever killed anyone? Harry asked, hoping he sounded offhand. Never at Hogwarts. We've had a couple of broken jaws, but nothing worse than that. Now, the last member of the team is the Seeker. That's you. And you don't have to worry about the quaffle or the bludgers, unless they crack my head open. Don't worry. The Weasleys are more than a match for the bludgers. I mean, they're like a pair of you and bludgers themselves. Wood reached into the crate and took out the fourth and last ball. Compared with the quaffles and the bludgers, it was tiny, about the size of a large walnut. It was bright gold and had little fluttering silver wings. This, said Wood, is the golden snitch, and it's the most important ball of the lot. It's very hard to catch because it's so fast and difficult to seek. It's the seeker's job to catch it. You've got to weave in and out of the chasers, beaters, bludgers, and quaffle to get it before the other team's seeker, because whichever seeker catches the snitch wins its team. An extra hundred and fifty points. So they nearly always win. That's why seekers get fouled so much. A game of Quidditch only ends when the snitch is caught. So it can go on for ages. I think the record is three months. They had to keep bringing on substitutes so the players could go get some sleep. Well, that's it. Any questions? Harry shook his head. He understood what he had to do all right. It was doing it that was going to be the problem. We won't practice with the snitch yet, said Wood, carefully shutting it back inside the crate. It's too dark. We might lose it. Let's try out with a few of these. He pulled a bag of ordinary golf balls out of his pocket, and a few minutes later, he and Harry were up in the air. Wood threw the golf balls as hard as he could in every direction for Harry to catch. Harry didn't miss a single one, and Wood was delighted. 
After half an hour, night had really fallen and they couldn't carry on. That Quidditch couple, BR's on name on it this year, said Wood happily as they trudged back to the castle. I wouldn't be surprised if you turn out better than Charlie Weasley. He could have played for England if he hadn't gone off and chasing dragons. Perhaps it was because he was now so busy, what with Quidditch, practicing three evenings a week on top of all of his homework, but Harry could hardly believe it when he realized that he had already been at Hogwarts two months. The castle felt more like home than Private Drive ever had. His lessons, too, were becoming more and more interesting now that they had mastered the basics. On Halloween morning, they woke to the delicious smell of baking pumpkin wafting through the corridors. Even better, Professor Flitwick announced in charms that he thought they were ready to start making objects fly, something they had all been dying to try since they'd seen him make Neville's toes zoom around the classroom. Professor Flitwick put the class into pairs to practice. Harry's partner was Seamus Finnegan, which was a relief because Neville had been trying to catch his eye. Ron, however, was to be working with Hermione Granger. It was hard to tell whether Ron or Hermione was angrier about this. She hadn't spoke to either of them since the day Harry's broomstick had arrived. Now, don't forget that nice wrist movement we've been practicing, squeaked Professor Flitwick, perched on top of his pile of books as usual. Swish and flick. Remember, swish and flick. And saying the words magic properly is very important. Two, never forget Wizard Barufio, who says, instead of F, and found himself on the floor with a buffalo on his chest. It was very difficult. Harry and Seamus swished and flicked, but the feather they were supposed to be sending skyward just lay on the desktop. Seamus got so impatient that he prodded it with his wand and set fire to it. Harry had to put it out with his hat. Ron, at the next table, wasn't having much more luck. Wingardium Leviosa, he shouted, waving his long arms like windmill. You're saying it wrong, Harry heard Hermione snap. It's Wingardium Leviosa. Make the ga nice and long. You do it, then, if you're so clever, Ron snarled. Hermione rolled up the sleeves of her gown, flicked her wand, and said, Wingardium Leviosa. Their feather rose off the desk and hovered above four feet above their heads. Oh, well, said Professor Flitwick, clapping. Everyone see here, Miss Granger's done it. Ron was in a very bad mood by the end of the class. It was no wonder no one can stand her, said Harry, as they pushed their way into the crowded corridor. She's a nightmare, honestly. Someone knocked into Harry as they hurried past him. It was Hermione. Harry caught a glimpse of her face and was startled to see that she was in tears. I think she heard you. So? said Ron, but he looked a bit uncomfortable. She must have noticed she's got no friends. Hermione didn't turn up for the next class and wasn't seen all afternoon. On their way down to the Great Hall for the Halloween feast, Harry and Ron overheard Pavardi Patelli telling her friend Lavender that Hermione was crying in the girls' bathroom and wanted to be left alone. Ron looked still more awkward at this, but at a moment later, they had entered the Great Hall where the Halloween decorations put Hermione out of their minds. A thousand live bats fluttered from the walls to the ceiling while a thousand more swooped over the tables in low black clouds, making the candles and the pumpkins stutter. 
The feast appeared suddenly on the golden plates as it had at the start of term banquet. Harry was just helping himself to a baked potato when Professor Quirrell came sprinting into the hall, his turban askew and terror on his face. Everyone stared as he reached Professor Dumbledore's clair- chair, slumped against the table, and gasped, Troll! In the dungeons! Thought you ought to know! He then sank to the floor in a dead faint. There was an uproar. It took several purple firecracker exploding from the end of the Professor Dumbledore's wand to bring silence. Prefects, he rumbled, lead your house back to the dormitories immediately. Percy was in his element. Follow me. Stick together. First years. No need to fear the troll if you follow my orders. Stay close behind me now. Make my first years come through. Excuse me. I'm a prefect. How could a troll get in? Harry asked as they climbed the stairs. Don't ask me. They're supposed to be really stupid, said Ron. Maybe Peeves let it in for a Halloween joke. They passed different groups of people hurrying in different directions. As they jostled their way through a crowd of confused Hufflepuffs, Harry suddenly grabbed Ron's arm. I just thought, Hermione, what about her? She doesn't know about the troll, Ron bit his lip. Oh, all right, he snapped. But Percy had better not see us. Ducking down, they joined the Hufflepuffs going the other way, slipping down a deserted side corridor and hurried off toward the girls' bathroom. They had just turned the corner when they heard quick footsteps behind them. Percy, hissed Ron, pulling Harry behind a large stone griffin. Peering around, however, they saw not Percy, but Snape. He had crossed the corridor and disappeared from view. What's he doing? Harry whispered. Why isn't he down in the dungeons with the rest of the teachers? Search me. Quietly as possible, they crept along the next corridor after Snape's fading footsteps. He's headed for the third floor, Harry said, but Ron held up his hand. Can you smell something? Harry sniffed and a foul stench reached his nostrils. A mixture of old socks and the kind of public toilet no one seems to clean. And then they heard it. A low grunting and the shuffling footballs of giant feet. Ron pointed. At the end of a passage to the left, something huge was moving toward them. They shrank into the shadows and watched as it emerged into a patch of moonlight. It was a horrible sight. Twelve feet tall, its skin was dull granite gray, its great lumpy body like a boulder with its small bald head perched on top like a coconut. It had short legs, thick as tree trunks, with flat, horny feet. The smell coming from it, the smell coming from it was incredible. It was holding a huge wooden club, which dragged along the floor because its arms were so long. The troll stopped next to a doorway and peered inside. It waggled its long ears, making up its tiny mind, then slowly slouched into the room. The key's in the lock, Harry muttered. We could lock it in. Good idea, said Ron nervously. They edged towards the open door, mouths dry, praying the troll wasn't coming out of it. With one great leap, Harry managed to grab the key, slam the door, and lock it. Yes! Flushed with their victory, they started to run back up the passage. But as they reached the corner, they heard something that made their hearts stop. A high, petrified scream. And it was coming from the chamber they'd just chained open. Oh, no, said Ron Pell as a bloody baron. It's the girl's bathroom, Harry gasped. Hermione, they said together. It was the last thing they wanted to do, but what choice did they have? Wheeling around, they sprinted back to the door and turned the key, fumbling in their panic. 
Harry pulled the door open, and they ran inside. Hermione Granger was shrieking against the wall opposite, looking as if she was about to faint. The troll was advancing on her, knocking the sinks off the wall as it went. <clears throat> Confuse it, Harry said desperately to Ron, and seizing a tap, he threw it as hard as he could against the wall. The troll stopped a few feet from Hermione. It lumbered around, blinking stupidly to see what he, what had made the noise. Its mean little eyes saw Harry. It hesitated, then made for him instead, lifting its club as it went. Oh, pea brain, yelled Ron from the other side of the chamber, and he threw a metal pipe at it. The troll didn't even seem to notice the pipe hitting its shoulder, but it heard the yell and paused again, turning its ugly snout toward Ron instead, giving Harry time to run around it. Come on, run, run, Harry yelled at Hermione, trying to pull her toward the door. But she couldn't move. She was still flat against the wall, her mouth open with terror. The shouting and the echoes seemed to be driving the troll berserk. It roared again and started towards Ron, who was nearest and had no way to escape. Harry then did something that was both very brave and very stupid. He took a great running jump and managed to fasten his arms around the troll's neck from behind. The troll couldn't feel Harry hanging there, but even a troll will notice if you stick a long bit of wood up its nose and Harry's wand had still been in his hand when he jumped. It had gone straight up one of the troll's nostrils. Howling with pain, the troll twisted and flailed his club, with Harry clinging on for dear life. Any second, the troll was going to rip him off and catch him a terrible blow with the club. Hermione had sunk to the floor in fright. Ron pulled out his own wand, not knowing what he was going to do, he heard himself cry the first bell that came into his head. Wingardium Leviosa! The club flew suddenly out of the troll's hand, rose high, high up into the air, turned slowly over, and dropped with a sickening crack on its owner's head. The troll swayed on the spot and then fell flat on his face with a thud that made the whole room tremble. Harry got to his feet. He was shaking out of breath. Ron was standing there with his wand still raised, staring at what he had done. It was Hermione who spoke first. Is it dead? I don't think so, said Harry. I think it's just been knocked out. He bent down and pulled its wand out of his, the troll's nose. It was covered in what looked like lumpy gray glue. Ugh, troll boogers. He wiped it on the troll's trousers. A sudden slamming and loud footsteps made the three of them look up. They hadn't realized what a racket they had been making. But of course, someone downstairs must have heard the crashes and the trolls' roars. A moment later, Professor McGonagall had come bursting into the room, closely followed by Snape, with Quirrell bringing up the rear. Quirrell took one look at the troll, let out a faint whimper, and sat quickly down on a toilet, clutching his heart. Snape bent over the troll. Professor McGonagall was looking at Ron and Harry. Harry had never seen her look so angry. Her lips were white. Hopes of winning 50 points for Gryffindor faded quickly from Harry's mind. What on earth were you thinking of? said Professor McGonagall with cold fury in her voice. Very looked at, Harry looked at Ron, who was still standing with his wand in the air. You're lucky you weren't killed. Why aren't you in your dormitory? Snape gave Harry a swift, piercing look. Harry looked at the floor. He wished Ron would put his wand down. Then a small voice came out of the shadows. Please, Professor McGonagall, they were looking for me. Miss Granger? 
Hermione had managed to get to her feet at last. I went looking for the troll because I, I, I thought I could deal with it on my own. You know, because I've read all about them. Ron dropped his wand. Hermione Granger telling a downright lie to a teacher. If they hadn't found me, I'd be dead now. Harry stuck his wand up his nose and Ron knocked it out with its own club. They didn't have to, time to come and fetch anyone. It was about to finish me off when they arrived. Harry and Ron tried to look as though this story wasn't new to them. Well, in that case, said Professor McGonagall, staring at the three of them. Miss Granger, you foolish girl, how could you think of tackling a mountain troll on your own? Hermione hung her head. Harry was speechless. Hermione was the last person to do anything against the rules, and here she was, pretending she had to get them out of trouble. It was as if Snape had started handing out sweets. Miss Granger, five points will be taken from Gryffindor for this, said Professor McGonagall. I'm very disappointed in you. If you're not hurt at all, you'd better get off to Gryffindor Tower. Students are finishing the feast in their houses. Hermione left. Professor McGonagall turned to Harry and Ron. Well, I still say you were lucky, but not many first years could have taken on a full-grown mountain troll. You each win Gryffindor five points. Professor Dumbledore will be informed of this, and you may go. They hurried out of the chamber and didn't speak at all until they were climbing two floors up. It was a relief to be away from the smell of the troll, quite apart from anything else. We should have gotten more than ten points, Ron grumbled. Five, you mean, once she's taken off Hermione's. Good of her to get out, out of trouble like that, Ron admitted. Mind you, we did save her. She might not have needed saving if we hadn't locked the thing in with her, Harry reminded him. They had reached the portrait of the fat lady. Pig snout, they said, and entered. The common room was packed and noisy. Everyone was eating the food that had been sent up. Hermione, however, stood alone by the door waiting for them. There was a very embarrassing pause. Then none of them looking at each other, they all said thanks and hurried off to get plates. But from that moment on, Hermione Granger became their friend. There are some things you can't share without ending up like each other, liking each other, and knocking out a 12-foot mountain troll is one of them. Chapter 11, Quidditch As they entered November, the weather turned very cold. The mountains around the school became icy gray, and the lake like chilled still. Every morning, the ground was covered in frost. Hagrid could be seen from the upstairs window, defrosting broomsticks on the Quidditch field. Bundled up in a long moleskin overcoat, rabbit fur gloves, and enormous beaver skin boots. The Quidditch season had begun. On Saturday, Harry would be playing his first match after weeks of training. Gryffindor versus Slytherin. If Gryffindor won, they would move up into second place in the house championship. Hardly anyone had seen Harry play because Wood had decided that, as their secret weapon, Harry should be kept well secret. But the news that he was playing seeker had leaked out somehow, and Harry didn't know which was worse, people telling him he'd be brilliant or people telling him they'd be running around underneath him holding a mattress. It was really lucky that Harry now had Hermione as a friend. He didn't know how he'd gotten through all his homework without her, what with all the last-minute Quidditch practice Wood was making them do. 
She had also lent him Quidditch through the ages, which turned out to be a very interesting read. Harry learned that there were 700 ways of committing a Quidditch foul, and that all of them had happened during a World Cup match in 1473, that seekers were usually the smallest and fastest players, and that most serious Quidditch accidents seemed to happen to them. That although people rarely died playing Quidditch, referees had been known to vanish and turn up months later in the Sahara Desert. Hermione had become a bit more relaxed about breaking rules since Harry and Ron had saved her from the mountain troll, and she was much nicer for it. The day before Harry's first Quidditch match, the three of them were out in the freezing courtyard during break, and she had conjured them up a bright blue fire that could be carried around in a jam jar. They were standing with their backs to it, getting warm, when Snape crossed the yard. Harry noticed at once that Snape was limping. Harry, Ron, and Hermione moved closer together to block the fire from the view. They were sure it wouldn't be allowed. Unfortunately, something about their guilty faces caught Snape's eye. He limped over. He hadn't seen the fire, but he seemed to be looking for a reason to tell them off anyway. What's that you've got there, Potter? It was Quidditch through the ages, Harry showed him. Larry's library books are not to be taken outside the school, said Snape. Give it to me. Five points from Gryffindor. He's just made that roll up, Harry muttered angrily as Snape limped away. Wonder what's wrong with his leg. Dunno, but I hope it's really hurting him, said Ron bitterly. The Gryffindor common room was very noisy that evening. Harry, Ron, and Hermione sat together next to a window. Hermione was checking Harry and Ron's charms homework for them. She would never let them copy. How will you learn? But by asking her to read it through, they got the right answers anyway. Harry felt restless. He wanted Quidditch to the ages back to take his mind off his nerves about tomorrow. Why should he be afraid of Snape? Getting up, he told Ron and Hermione he was going to ask Snape if he could have it. Better you than me, they said together. But Harry had an idea that Snape wouldn't refuse if there were other teachers listening. He made his way down to the staff room and knocked. There was no answer. He knocked again. Nothing. Professor Snape had left the book in there. It was worth a try. He pushed the door ajar and peered inside, and a horrible scene met his eyes. Snape and Filch were inside alone. Snape was holding his rubs above his knees. One of his legs was bloody and mangled. Filch was handling Snape's bandages. Blasted thing, Snape was saying. How are you supposed to keep your eyes on all three heads at once? Harry tried to shut the door quietly, but... Potter! Snape's face was twisted with fury as he dropped his robes quickly to hide his leg. Harry gulped. I just wondered if I could have my book back. Get out! Out! Harry left before Snape could take any more points from Gryffindor. He sprinted back upstairs. Did you get it? Ron asked Harry, joining them. What's the matter? In a low whisper, Harry told them that what he'd seen. You know what this means? He finished breathlessly. He tried to get past those three-headed dogs at Halloween. That's where he was going when we saw him. He's after whatever it's guarding. And I bet my broomstick he'd let that troll in to make diversion. Hermione's eyes were wide. No, he wouldn't, she said. I know he's not very nice, but he wouldn't try and steal something. Dumbledore was keeping safe. Honestly, Hermione, you think all the teachers are saints or something, snapped Ron. I'm with Harry. I wouldn't put anything past Snape. But what's he after? What's that dog guarding? 
Harry went to bed with his head buzzing with the same question. Neville was snoring loudly, but Harry couldn't sleep. He tried to empty his mind. He needed to sleep. He had to. He had his first Quidditch match in a few hours. But the expression on Snape's face when Harry had seen his leg wasn't easy to forget. The next morning dawned very bright and cold. The great hall was full of delicious smell of fried sausage and the cheerful chatter of everyone looking forward to a good Quidditch match. You've got to eat something for breakfast. I don't want anything. Just a bit of toast, wheeled Hermione. I'm not hungry. Harry felt terrible. In an hour's time, he'd be walking onto the field. Harry, you need your strength, said Seamus Finnegan. Seekers are always the ones who get clobbered by the other team. Thanks, Seamus, said Harry, watching Seamus pile ketchup on his sausages. By eleven o'clock, the whole school seemed to be out in stands around the Quidditch pitch. Many students had binoculars. The seats might be raised high in the air, but it was still difficult to see what was going on sometimes. Ron and Hermione joined Newt, Neville and Seaman and Dean, the West Ham fan up in the top row. As a surprise for Harry, they had painted a large banner on one of the sheets. Scabbers had ruined. It said Potter for president, and Dean, who was good at drawing, had done a large Gryffindor line underneath. Then Hermione had performed a tricky little charm so that the paint flashed different colors. Meanwhile, in the locker room, Harry and the rest of the team were changing into their scarlet Quidditch robes. Slytherin would be playing in green. Wood cleared his throat for silence. Okay, men, he said, and women, said Chaser Angelina Johnson. And women, Wood agreed. This is it, the big one, said Fred Weasley. The one we've all been waiting for, said George. We know Oliver's speech by heart, Fred told Harry. We were all the team last year. Shut up, you two, said Wood. This is the best team Gryffindor's had in years. We're going to win. I know it. He glared at them all as if to say, or else. Right, it's time. Good luck, all of you. Harry followed Fred and George out of the locker room and, hop hoping his knees weren't going to give away, walked into the field to loud cheers. Madame Hooch was ref refereeing. She stood in the middle of the field waiting for the two teams, her broom in her hand. Now, I want a nice fair game, all of you, she said, once they were all gathered around. Harry noticed that she seemed to be speaking particularly to the Slytherin captain, Marcus Flint, a fifth year. Harry thought Flint looked as if he had some troll blood in him. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw the fluttering banner high above flashing Potter for president over the crowd. His heart skipped. He felt braver. Mount your brooms, please. Harry clambered onto his Nimbus 2000. Madame Hooch gave a loud blast on her silver whistle. Fifteen brooms rose up high, high into the air, and they were off. And the quaffle is taken immediately by Angelina Johnson of Gryffindor. What an excellent chaser that girl is, and rather attractive, too. Jordan, said Professor. Sorry, Professor, the Weasley twins' friend, Lee Jordan, was doing the commentary of the match closely watched by Professor McGonagall. And she's really belting along up there. A neat pass to Alicia Spinnett, a good find of Oliver Woods, last year only a reserve. Back to Johnson, and no, the Slytherins have taken the quaffle. 
Slytherin Captain Marcus Flint gains the quaffle, and off he goes. A Flint flying like an eagle up there. He's going to... No, stop by an excellent move by Gryffindor Keeper Wood, and the Gryffindors take the quaffle. That's the chaser Katie Bell of Gryffindor there. Nice dive around Flint. Off up the field, and ouch, that must have hurt. Hit in the back of the head by a bludger. Quaffle taken by the Slytherins. That's Adrian Pussy speeding off toward the goalpost. But he's blocked by a second bludger. Sent his way by Fred and George Weasley. Can't tell which. Nice play by the Gryffindor's beater, anyway. And Johnson back into possession of the Quaffle. A clear field ahead, and off she goes. She's really flying. Dodges a speeding bludger. The goalposts are ahead. Come on Nan now, Angelina. Keeper Bletchy dives. Misses. Gryffindor scores! Gryffindor cheers, feel the cold air, with howls and moans from the Slytherins. Budge up there. Move along. Hagrid, Ron, and Harry squeeze together to give Hagrid enough space to join them. Been watching from me hut, said Hagrid, patting a large pair of binoculars around his neck. But it isn't the same as being in the crowd. No sign of the snitch, eh? Nope, said Ron. Harry hasn't had much to do yet. Keep out of trouble, though. That's something, said Hagrid, raising his binoculars and peering skyward at the speck that was Harry. Way up above them, Harry was gliding over the game, squinting about for some sign of the snitch. This was part of his and Wood's game plan. Keep out of the way until you catch sight of the snitch, Wood had said. We don't want you attacked before you have to be. When Angelina had scored, Harry had done a couple of loop-de-loops to let off his feelings. Now he was back to staring around for the snitch. Once he caught sight of the flash of gold, but it was just a reflection from one of the Weasley's wristwatches, and once a bludger decided to come pelting his way, more like a cannonball than anything, but Harry dodged it and Fred Weasley came chasing after it. All right there, Harry, he had time to yell as he beat the bludger furiously towards Marcus Flint. Slytherin in possession, Lee Jordan said, saying. Chaser Posse ducks two bludgers, two Weasleys, and Chaser Bill and speeds towards the... Wait a moment, was that the snitch? A murmur ran through the crowd as Adrian Posse dropped the quaffle, too busy looking over his shoulder at the flash of gold that had passed his left ear. Harry saw it. In a great rush of excitement, he dived downward after the streak of gold. Slytherin seeker Terence Higgs had seen it, too. Neck and neck, they herded toward the snitch. All the chasers seemed to have forgotten that they were supposed to be doing as they hung in midair to watch. Harry was faster than Higgs. He could see the little round ball, wings fluttering, darting up ahead. He put on an extra spurt of speed. Wham! A roar of rage echoed from Gryffindor's elbow. Marcus Flint had blocked Harry on purpose, and Harry's broom spun off course. Harry holding on for dear life. Foul! screamed the Gryffindors. Madame Hooch spoke angrily to Flint and then ordered a free shot at the goalpost for Gryffindor. But in all of the confusion, of course, the golden snitch had disappeared from sight again. Down in the stands, Dean Thomas was yelling, Send him off, ref! Red card! What are you talking about, Dean? said Ron. Red card, said Dean fiercely. In soccer, you get shown the red card and you're out of the game. But this isn't soccer, Dean, Ron reminded him. Haggard, however, was on Dean's side. They ought to change the rules. Flint could have knocked Harry out of the air. 
Lee Jordan was finding it difficult not to take sides. So, after that obvious and disgusting bit of cheating... Jordan? growled Professor McGonagall. I mean, after that open and revolting foul... Jordan, I'm warning you! All right, all right! Flint nearly kills the Gryffindor seeker, which could happen to anyone, I'm sure. So a penalty to Gryffindor, taken by Spinnet, who puts it away, no trouble, and we continue playing. Gryffindor still in possession. It was as Harry dodged another bludger, which was spinning dangerously past his head, that it happened. His broom gave a sudden frightening lurch for a split second he thought he was going to fall. He gripped the broom tightly with both his hands and knees. He'd never felt anything like that. It happened again. It was as though the broom was trying to buck him off. But Nimbus 2000s did not suddenly decide to buck their riders off. Harry tried to turn back towards Gryffindor goalpost. He had half a mind to ask Wood to call time out, and then he realized that his broom was completely out of his control. He couldn't turn it. He couldn't direct it at all. It was zigzagging through the air and every now and then making violent, swishing movements that almost unseated him. Lee was still coming. Slytherin in possession. Flint with the quaffle. Passes Spinnet. Passes Bell. Hit hard in the face by a bludger. Hope it broke his nose. Only joking, Professor. Slytherin scores. Oh, no. The Slytherins were cheering. No one seemed to have noticed that Harry's broom was behaving strangely. It was carrying him slowly higher away from the game, jerking and twitching as it went. Don't know what Harry thinks he's doing, Haggard mumbled. He stared through his binocular. If I didn't know better, I'd say he'd lost control of his broom, but he can't have... Suddenly, people were pointing up at Harry all over the stands. His broom had started to roll over and over with him only just managing to hold on. Then the whole crowd gasped. Harry's broom had given a wild jerk, and Harry swung off it. He was now dangling from it, holding on with only one hand. Did something happen to it when Flint blocked him? Seamus whispered. Can't have, Hagrid said, his voice shaking. Can't nothing interfere with a broomstick except powerful dark magic. No kid could do that to a Nimbus 2000. At those words, Hermione seized Hagrid's binoculars, but instead of looking at Harry, she started looking frantically at the crowd. What are you doing? moaned Ron, gray-faced. I knew it, Hermione gasped. Snape, look! Ron grabbed the binoculars. Snape was in the middle of the stands opposite them. He had his eyes fixed on Harry and was muttering nonstop under his breath. He's doing something. Jinxing the broom, said Hermione. What should we do? Leave it to me. Before Ron could say another word, Hermione had disappeared, Ron turned the binoculars back on Harry. His broom was vibrating so hard, it was almost impossible for him to hang on much longer. The whole crowd was on its feet, watching terrified as the Weasleys flew up to try and pull Harry safely onto one of their brooms. But it was no good. Every time they got near him, the broom would jump higher still. They dropped lower and circled beneath him, obviously hoping to catch him if he fell. Marcus Flint seized the quaffle and scored five times without anyone noticing. Come on, Hermione, Ron muttered desperately. Hermione had fought her way across to the stands where Snape stood and was now racing along the row behind him. She didn't even stop to say sorry as she knocked Professor Quirrell headfirst into the row in front. Reaching Snape, she crouched down, pulled out her wand, and whispered a few well-chosen words. Bright blue flames shot from a wand onto the hem of Snape's robes. It took perhaps 30 seconds for Snape to realize that he was on fire. 
A sudden yelp told her she had done her job. Scooping the fire off him into a little jar in her pocket, she scrambled back along the road. Snape would never know what had happened. It was enough. Up in the air, Harry was suddenly able to clamber back onto his broom. Neville, you can look, Ron said. Neville had been sobbing into Agra's jacket for the last five minutes. Harry was speeding towards the ground when the crowd saw him clap his hands to his mouth as though he was about to be sick. He hit the field on all fours, coughed, and something gold fell into his hand. I've got the snitch, he shouted, waving it above his head, and the game ended in complete confusion. He didn't catch it. He nearly swallowed it, Flint was howling twenty minutes later, but it made no difference. Harry hadn't broken any rules, and Lee Jordan was still happily shouting the results. Gryffindor had won by 170 points to 60. Harry heard none of this, though. He was being made a cup of strong tea back in Hagrid's hut with Ron and Hermione. It was Snape, Ron was explaining. Hermione and I saw him. He was cursing your broomstick, muttering he wouldn't take his eyes off you. Rubbish, said Hagrid. He hadn't heard a word of what had gone on next to him in the stands. Why would Snape do something like that? Harry and Ron and Hermione looked at one another, wondering what to tell him. Harry decided on the truth. I found out something about him, he told Hagrid. He tried to get past the three-headed dog on Halloween. It bit him. We think he was trying to steal whatever it's guarding. Hagrid dropped the teapot. How did you know about Fluffy? he said. Fluffy? Yeah, he's mine. Bought him off a Greek chappy I met in the pub last year. I led him to Dumbledore to guard the... Yes, said Harry eagerly. Now, don't ask me any more, said Hagrid gruffly. That's top secret, that is. But Snape's trying to steal it. Rubbish, said Hagrid again. Snape's a Hogwarts teacher. He'd do nothing of the sort. So why did he just try and kill Harry, cried Hermione. The afternoon's events certainly seemed to have changed her mind about Snape. I know a jinx when I see one, Hagrid. I've read all about them. You've got to keep eye contact, and Snape wasn't blinking at all. I saw him. I'm telling you, you're wrong, said Hagrid hotly. I don't know why Harry's broom acted like that, but Snape wouldn't try and kill a student. Now listen to me, all three of you. You're murdering in things that don't concern you. It's dangerous. You forget that dog, and you forget what it's guarding. That's between Professor Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel. Ah, said Harry. So there's someone called Nicholas Flamel involved, is there? Hagrid looked furious at himself.